Hello, and thank you for tuning in to Starting Small, a podcast about brand development, entrepreneurship, and innovation in the modern world. In this episode, I'm joined by Scott Gabrielson, founder of Oliver Cabell, a high-end casual footwear brand. Scott realized that competitors in this industry were placing major markups compared to their manufacturing price. By creating Oliver Cabell, Scott's mission is to provide high-quality shoes without the same industry major markups. Hello, and thank you for tuning in to Starting Small. Today, I'm joined by Scott Gabrielson of Oliver Cabell. Scott, thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Of course. So I want to get things started out with your upbringing. So where did you grow up and what was your childhood like? Sure. So I actually grew up in Fargo, North Dakota, um, made famous by the movie and show now. Um, <laughs> but as you as you can imagine, you know, Fargo is is not the fashion capital of the world. Um, my bringing up in childhood was sort of as you expected. Um, you know, I grew up in a pretty middle class um, blue collar family. My my mom's a secretary. My dad is a detective for the local um, uh, sheriff's department, actually. Um, and my upbringing was was fairly normal, as you'd sort of expect. You know, played a lot of sports. Awesome. Did you have an entrepreneurship? A lot of friends. Oh, yeah, yeah. Girls. <laughs> yeah, oh, totally. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was, you know, just sort of what you'd expect. So um, growing up, did you have an entrepreneurship mindset? Say, sell any products or lemonade stands or anything? No, I, I really didn't actually. Uh, but what I did have was an, an interest in, in design and, and sort of fashion. Um, you know, it wasn't anything that was obviously discussed around the dinner table and, and there's not a, a booming place for it um, in North Dakota. But, you know, I do recall, you know, either shopping or getting my first you know, GQ magazine in, in, in middle school and just being very intrigued by by design and fashion and, and that world of it all. I didn't really know what it meant, but I knew that yeah. it, it sort of felt, um, it felt different than, than something else. So my interest was, was always there. What do you think spiked that interest? Did you have any family members who also shared the same thing or no? Just... Not really. Interesting. Um, I, I don't know. I, I think it's just sort of that, that innate thing in, in your personality, right? Yeah. Some people are drawn to whatever it may be. And, and that's what I was sort of drawn to. Um, I will say that I had sort of an, an OCD obsession with keep, keeping, you know, my room, if you will, in a very specific manner and, and dressing <laughs> a certain way and whatever it may be. And, and it sort of stemmed into my life. And I just, just really started to love design and, you know, the creative side of it all and um, got really into to art and design in, in high school and carried that on to, to university. Awesome. So I saw in 2006, you went on to the University of Minnesota. What did you study there? Sure. So I, I had a, it was an interesting combination. So I studied, I studied finance and, and marketing. Those are my two majors. And then I, I minored in, in art um, or design. So okay. um, interestingly enough, I was actually working at a hedge fund in undergrad uh, as an intern for multiple years. And then when I would leave that job, I'd go to the, the art department and, and work on my art there. Uh, <laughs> very drastically different world. Totally. Um, were you involved with any athletics or clubs during your time there? Not really. You know, some intramural stuff, um, some clubs for resume building, but really just enjoy the, the social side of, of yeah, the university. And for sure. that was the extent of it. Got it. So you mentioned hedge funds, and I saw there was a gap in between uh, your MBA and undergraduate. So what kind of jobs were you working in between this gap period? 
Yeah, so I actually went to work in the, uh, um, the fascinating or lack thereof world of investment banking. So I was working in a, a boutique investment bank um, hmm. in Minneapolis that actually had just opened up their their mergers and acquisitions arm. So I was the first analyst on that team. Um, so in, in investment banking, you can you, know, you usually work on what's called the the sell side. So we were working yeah. to promote businesses that were being to be sold for one reason or another. And then after that, I moved to a corporation also in Minneapolis um, as we're working on their buy side. So we were doing mm-hmm. some in, investing in small education startups, um, as well as working on larger acquisitions that we wanted to bring to the corporation. Got it. And then I saw that you went on to Oxford University for your MBA, and this was around 2014. What kind of led you to go across the seas to Oxford? Yeah, sure. So... You know, I, I knew that working-wise, business was, was super interesting to me, but being yeah. a career finance professional, if you will, um, was not where, was not going to get me out of bed in the morning. And, and I really wanted to, I was, I was really passionate about essentially following my passion, finding a career that I, I really loved and was able to leverage, you know, my interest in business and design and all these different elements. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, going to get an MBA, is probably not the best way to start a business, but yeah. I saw it as my opportunity to take a year, really sort of focus on what I wanted to do long-term, um, get myself out of the Midwest and, and really put myself in a whole new world and meet a whole new you know, myriad of people and, and experiences. Um, and that's why I went there. You know, I, I, it also helped having, you know, a, an MBA from a, um, you know, a good school to, if, if things didn't work out on you know, the entrepreneurial side, if you will, mm-hmm. that hopefully I could fall back on that and, and get a job and do the nine to five. Got it. And then around this time, uh, following your MBA, Oliver Cabell started in 2016. I'm, I'm curious, what inspired you to both start your own business and then also move into the fashion industry specifically? Yeah. So this was, you know, 2012, 2013, this was when the direct consumer brands were really coming into fruition. Mm-hmm. Warby Parker, Bonobos, um, Everlane, um, they were all making a splash digitally. And the premise of it really made a ton of sense for me. You know, I'd always been interested in um, luxury brands, if you will, and the quality that, that most of them stood for and, and, and the heritage and the rest. But the price tags, um, for one, were out of my budget. And for two, didn't justify what you were really buying. And that's actually yeah. part of when I was at graduate school, I was studying was the luxury fashion industry and what the markups were associated with and what the production looked like and the materials that were being used. And there was a clear divide between the two. Um, and that's really what what led me into wanting to, to sort of follow my passion of design and business, but also sort of tackle this issue that, um, you know, high-end shoes don't need to be $800 if they're made in Italy. You don't need to price it at that point and you can still be a profitable business. Yeah. Um, and that really is what led me down this journey. So right after I finished graduate school, um, I launched the brand in 2016. It was just a small collection of just accessories just to really learn and see what's out there and see how this could go. For sure. So we set up a landing page we actually had around 15,000 email signups and it was all wow. really guerrilla marketing that got all of that going. Um, and then one thing sort of led into another. And in 2018, we actually finally launched what we wanted to do long-term. And that was have a, a formal, you know, 
an actual footwork collection, obviously focused on sneakers. Mm -hmm. Um, but because we hadn't and still haven't raised outside funding, um, it was a process to get there, you know, for sure to invest in inventory, to get that momentum on the revenue side and whatnot. It it did take some time and and we've been sort of moving in that direction since. Got it. Yeah. So as a consumer on my end, looking at Oliver Cabell today, I had no idea that you, you guys started as just accessories. I assumed you started as footwear. So what were you offering from the start with Oliver Cabell when you first launched them? Yeah, it was, so it was just a very, I mean, this was a, this was the you know early days and, and very little on the marketing side. We didn't do anything on the paid advertising or whatnot, but it was just a yeah. collection of, of small leather goods primarily and a couple bags. And um, the reason for it was that, again, going back to, to graduate school is we found that the accessory side of the luxury good businesses, um, and we're really talking the large conglomerates, you know, LVMH and the rest, um, that's where a lot of their margin and a lot of their profits were really stemming from. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not the, the ready to wear, it's their leather goods and footwear and whatnot. Um, and that's what seemed to be the space that was most prone for disruption, if you will. Got it. And then Oliver Cabell, you initially launched, you were still overseas, correct? You weren't in the States when you launched? Correct. Yes. Yeah. So, um, I came back to the States and in 2000, actually, so I, I was back in 2015. Um, but you know, what is a launch in a sense, right? When did the, mm-hmm. the the website go live, and what does that really mean to to anyone besides those that are close to me? Nothing really. Um, so, <laughs> 2016 was essentially the formal launch, but but really, we went live with a deeper collection, a full collection of what we were wanted to do, or I wanted to do long term in 2018. Got it. And then that 2018 launch. Did you then acquire funding for that launch or was this just accumulation of profit? Uh, accumulation of profit. We still haven't oh. taken any outside funding. Still. Okay. Got it. Got it. And then I was also curious, um, what does the name Oliver Cabell kind of resemble and what made you go with that name? Sure. So it actually stems from um, two fictional characters that Steve McQueen played. Mm-hmm. in a couple of movies in the 70s and 80s. And it was really a combination of these two actors bringing together. And one is Oliver Reed um, being played by uh, by Oliver Reed and, and Steve McQueen um, being played and, and their sort of relationship and friendship they had between the two. But, you know, what a deeper sort of stood for was Steve McQueen and and, and Oliver Reed were sort of these rebels in, in the space of, you know, entertainment and and we wanted to sort of bring that same mindset to, to fruition and, and the, you know, the fashion and design space. But mm-hmm. at the same token, you know, we had no money to acquire um, a URL that we'd have to buy for. We needed social media handles. We went through this process, which a lot of probably entrepreneurs have. Of, it's much harder to, to find a name and, <laughs> and get all the rights that you'd want. Um, but, you know, it's, it is sort of what we've gravitated towards is, is being, you know, not my name or, or, or a living human's name is not what the brand stands for. It's much deeper than that. And that was sort yeah. of the goal with the naming of it. Got it. And then you mentioned you weren't really taking a part in paid advertisements from the start. So how were you marketing Oliver Cabell at this time? Was it mainly social media or what did that look like to get the word out? Yeah, so we actually, we didn't spend a dollar on paid advertising until we had um, about a million dollars in sales. Wow. Um, and 
the really the the way that most of the uh, the awareness was being done was sort of traditional guerrilla marketing tactics. If it's you know mm-hmm. through social media and and just getting in giveaways or um, you know we partnered with influencers and, and gifted um, products to them, but it was a lot you know, just cold emailing editors and trying to get them to write about us. And we had, I think, 100 or 150 um, PR pieces that hit that first year with no external PR agency involved, all just through sort of grinding it out and and just trying to get people to listen to us. And and what that did was, you know, it not only helped from an awareness standpoint, but it helped with, you know, our keyword rankings and, and the SEO work and, mm-hmm. and just really, you know, as we started to try to find partnerships or collaborations or whatever, maybe we could lean on those articles and, and, and you know, it helped with, with our growth. And, um, but, but that's, that was sort of the initial strategy. Got it. So looking at Oliver Cabell today, where is mainly your products manufactured? Is it still overseas or are you guys in house or is it in the States? So all of our products, yeah, no, all of our products are, are sourced and produced in Italy. Um, okay. And that was a big part of our identity and what we wanted to bring to, to surface was we still wanted to get the best materials we can and work with the best, you know, cobblers or manufacturers or whatever it may be that we could, um, but, but price it at, at, you know, the best price to value ratio we could um, or quality price or quality ratio we could and, and really bring that value to surface. So um, we're doing everything in Italy. We plan to do everything in Italy for for really ever. Got it. What range of products do you currently offer? So you expanded to the shoes and then the accessories. What do you guys offer so far? Yeah, so we offer um, shoe cleaner, sneakers okay. is 99% of our business. We do some smaller accessories, smaller leather goods, some jewelry stuff. Um, but sneakers is really our bread and butter. What we, you know, what we create for, what we're known for and, and where our identity is. What would you say is your top seller then out of those? Yeah, so our top seller, as you sort of can imagine, is a low top white sneaker. Um, it's sort of the most versatile shoe that any guy can have. Um, and, you know, we have our own spin on it, but we also have sort of the best outsoles out there, which is made by Margan. We have Italian leather skins, metallic um, linings, insoles, and all the rest. And we price it below $200. So it's, I believe probably one of the cheapest Italian made Margam outsole shoes in the world. Awesome. So what would you say separates Oliver Cabell from your competitors then? Yeah. So, you know, our focus has really been on, on three things, mm-hmm. um, design value and quality. Um, so as I mentioned, I touched on the quality side on the design side, we have a, you know, that's, what's, great about brand and, and about fashion, if you will, is, is you sort of create your identity through design and, and we have our own aesthetic and what that stands for. You know, it's part streetwear, it's part Scandinavian minimalism. Um, and, you know, from a, a pricing side, I also touched on that, but, but one of the things that we did originally, and it's still part, a big part of our identity, um, was a bit unintentional was we actually release footwear on almost a weekly basis. So we mm. release new style or colorways, wherever it may be. Um, and at the beginning, we did this because again, we didn't have any outside funding. So we needed to, to really eliminate the potential to overbuy an inventory and get stuck with all this product that we couldn't sell. Yeah. So we tested a ton. We tested a lot of different styles to see what was working and what wouldn't work. And what that did was, 
did this hype mechanism where our customer base knew that if they wanted something, they better buy it now, or there's a good chance they wouldn't have the opportunity to buy it in the future. Mm. Um, so what that allowed us to do was turn our inventory super quickly, which allowed us to grow fast without having to raise outside funding to do so. Um, it also allowed us to really release a lot of unique product where we knew it wouldn't be maybe a huge seller, but because we designed our supply chain around it, we could produce, you know, today we launched a, a sneaker. There's only 20 pairs made. It's using um, a wow. skin that we developed with a, a French tannery that um, is known for working closely with Hermes. Um, and, and actually that's where a lot of their leathers come from. So we only could do that because of the way we designed our supply chain. So yeah, that's really what's really unique about us is we can do these, you know, rich storytelling, exclusive releases that you can't really find anywhere else else out there um, because we have set the business up that way. Interesting. So what if a shoe sells out quickly or just simply sells out? What do you do after that? You, it's cut off or do you extend it? <laughs> yeah, decisions to be made, right? Yeah. Um, Sometimes we really re-release it. Um, oftentimes okay. we don't. It, it sort of yeah. depends on what makes most sense for the brand. If it's off brand and it does really well, we'll likely not re-release it. We'll maybe mm -hmm. do something sort of similar, but not the identical thing. Yeah. Um, if it's very on brand and it's just clearly a winner, then we'll usually reproduce it. Got it. But something might change on it, you know, a material, a color, whatever it might, there, there's likely a small tweak that's done. Got it. So where can Alver Cabell be found today? Are you guys strictly through e-commerce or do you have any, any pop-up stores anywhere? No, we're strictly e-com. We're only through our website. Perfect. Got it. I like to conclude each episode with this question. If you could share one piece of advice with an aspiring entrepreneur, what would that be? Maybe something you've learned or regret? Just anything. Sure. Um, I, I think there's, there's sort of two things. One is mm -hmm. to, to trust your gut. Um, you know, you can get persuaded very easily at the beginning of sort of your entrepreneurial journey to, to do something that doesn't feel right, but you feel the someone's convincing you that you should do it for one reason or another. It usually always doesn't work out. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. And the second part is to just, just do it. Just move forward on whatever it may be. You know, a lot of people spend a lot of time thinking and, and I'm sure you've heard this a ton of times and a lot of entrepreneurs know it, but you, you, you spin your wheels on, you know, creating something that, that a lot of people just don't care about. You know, no one knows you exist. You have to create that. So if it, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's, you know, if you're trying to get coverage, you don't need to read a hundred books about how do you get PR coverage? You yeah. just start reaching out to editors and just trying to tell your, you know, tell your story and cold calling whoever it may be. But that's how you learn and that's how you keep moving forward. And I think that's the biggest thing that, that I've sort of leaned on and has been really helpful growing the brand. Amazing. Well, Scott, thank you so much for joining me. And to the listeners out there, make sure to check out Oliver Cabell at olivercabell.com. Thank you. Yeah, it was nice to chat. Hey, thank you for listening to this episode of Starting Small. If you would, leave a review on whatever platform you're listening on. Also, follow Starting Small Pod on social platforms to keep up to date on future guests.